And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to Financial Fitness Thursday, Wednesday. Happy hump day. The Jan Brady of the work week. Thanks for being here with us. Boy, this week is going like maple syrup. Slow, slow. But we're getting through it, Danny. We're getting there. We're getting there. One day at a time. Unlike Washington, trying to get a deal done. One of these days, they got this fictional June 1st deadline, like the whole world's going to end. Remember like uh, during the 2000, you know, all your computers were going to blow up or they're yeah, going to come Y2K. Out. Y2K. And yep. We're in our debt talks Y2K. So we'll see. Obviously, the market is a bit nervous about how it's going. And, and I think that makes sense. I think, you know, some things are going to be out of whack. I don't think it's a big issue. I always think Fed's number one priority with markets. But obviously, any kind of turmoil is going to cause a bit of volatility. But we're still stuck in this trading range that we've talked about and Lance talks about a lot um, with no foreseeable way to break out of it yet. We're going to see what the catalyst happens to be. And when that breakout happens, it's going to be big one way or another. So this coiled spring effect that we've seen for months, generally speaking, technically will, will explode. It just depends on which direction it's going to go. So we have to see, Danny. I mean, we have the, the FOMC minutes released. So the Fed will have to, the market will scrutinize those from the May meeting. Uh, probably not much from that anyway. Obviously, debt, debt ceilings and breakdown in talks. I mean, I don't understand. And now they got the now you've got the holiday coming. Aren't aren't they already already gone or on their way out? I mean, well, mentally they're on their way out, but physically aren't they on their way? Well, <laughs> mentally they've been on their way out for a while. <laughs> but it's it's not even them. It's their staff still. Like you listening uh-huh. to the reports like, "Oh, their staff is still visiting." <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys put such importance on this that you get yeah. a staffer to go and take some time to talk about the debt. Season. They pulled the janitor out of the yeah. main restroom i don't know anything about this but i mean again it is really <laughs> incredible well and i think coming. there's a lot of uncertainty out there nobody really knows so if you look right now there's actually a discount on you know you, you typically when you go buy a bond you look at the spreads mm-hmm. and you know treasuries is going to be your your number one spot safety yes that's going to be and you're not going to get paid as much for it as you would like on a corporate bond but some of the higher yielding or higher rated excuse me Corporate bonds like Microsoft, Johnson and mm-hmm. Johnson, they're trading at a discount to Treasuries right now. They like are on the short term. In the short term, yeah, yeah you're better off buying a Treasury. Uh, I mean, for the most part, I, I, if you think about what you're t- what you're saying, on the short end of the curve, you c- you could buy Treasuries. Uh, on the intermediate end of the curve, you know, you might want to look at corporates. But to your point, it does showcase the. Well, the stress that we're yeah. seeing right now. And that's just short-term uncertainty. And that may absolutely. be, the, the concern there may be a little bit misplaced because I still think they're going to pay the debt, right? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're concerned about, okay, what happens if they miss a payment and somebody needs liquidity? 
Right. You're still going to get paid back. Absolutely. Mean it's not liquid. The word default gets thrown around way yeah. too much. Um, when we know for a fact that we're not going to default. But it does showcase the dysfunction. I mean, we all know about it, but when it comes to the surface like this, I mean, talking about cutting the debt when we spend like drunken sailors is ridiculous. I mean, the fact that we're battling over that issue is ridiculous. Because they're going to turn around, just issue another bill to do the exact same thing. Right. Oh, debt ceiling's here. Great. We got more money to spend. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. But, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of concern in the sense that we're going to see a downgrade potentially if they don't come to some type of formal uh, arrangement here, mm-hmm. just like we saw in 2011. But that was more of a, um, even in 11, when they were downgraded from AAA to AA, mm-hmm. that was a formality. It I mean, was. You're still the safest place to have funds. Still have the biggest printer in the world. So... I don't know that how much of an impact that has other than a psyche, you know, short term. Yeah, I agree. Um, I still think that, I mean, obviously, globally, the sovereigns are crumbling. We're just crumbling less. Or what we always say is we're the, we're the prettiest house on a, on a destroyed street or the cleanest dirty shirt. So money will come into us. Um, but, yeah, it's going to cause some noise here in markets, and we're just going to have to uh, deal with that for a while. So I would assume if this continues to linger, you're going to see more and more talk about, oh, people are getting away from the dollar. They're going to look for other, other safe havens to store assets. I've been coming across more gold. Yes, uh, gold has been. Again, a, yes. Over the last week, uh, which has been very prevalent over this last year. Yes. Especially with the talks of, you know, the talk between Brazil and China and other other countries looking to avoid using a dollar as the as the medium, right? The the fact that gold can continue to do this um, over time is also story. Because when push comes to shove, you're never going back to a gold based currency. You're just not. If you talk about inequality now. You should see it under a gold-based system. Uh, it's just not going to be. But there's romance around this gold that gold is going to maintain its value. And that's fine. But when, if, if everything does fall apart and you own gold, I would rather have other things. What does Lance say? Beanie weenies? Beanie weenies and ammo? Of beanie weenies and ammo. I mean, but it's realistically, that's true. What am I supposed to do with gold? I just, you know, I, but there's this notion, you know, and it's fine because you can make money off of this, right? The, the narrative, gold is the safe haven. You know, the U.S. Treasury will never go under and all this other stuff that continues, that will continue to work for as long as it works. But for the most part, I think there are bigger issues. We'll get past this. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, like what this final bill looks like and the compromises made. Danny, I'm interested in seeing that. Yeah, and, and I think if you're an investor, and, and, and let's let's separate an investor to speculator or a yeah, trader, you're right? A, you're not investing for yeah. this week. If, if right. you're a trader, there's going to be a ton of opportunity mm-hmm. short term, right? If you're an, an investor or a long term type of thesis, this is likely going to be a blip in the radar. You're going to see some volatility surrounding it. But I do believe there's opportunity there as well that you'll be able to take advantage of as well. Absolutely. You might see some form of sector rotation um, 
out of uh, certain areas into others. So, you, you know, you never know what the reaction is going to be. We'll have to see how that. I think sector rotation, I think yields, I think. Yes. That, you know, obviously, there's no recommendations or anything specific, mm -hmm. but there is going to be a lot of that rotation going on, going on surrounding these talks in particular. Most important, if I'm a long-term investor, I'm looking at the macroeconomic environment that seems okay. But, you know, it's like an economy that's wobbling on a couple of wheels, but still moving forward. Yeah, what a I conundrum, just, right? Yeah. Everything's still moving forward. Everything's just moving forward. very slowly. Yeah. And not as fast as it was. E exactly. And that's, that's what we're going to have to deal with. Hey, we get back, we're going to talk about uh, real estate and whatever the tagline is for this morning. It's early, okay? We'll get to it the next segment. See you. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Wow, Red, whatever are we going to do over this hot, lazy summer? Don't you worry, little darling. We're going to break our money malaise. Don't let the summer doldrums sap your money's worth. Register for our next Candid Coffee with Danny Ratcliffe and Richard Rosso with summertime tips for your idle cash. Saturday, June 3rd. It's our half-year financial checkup, breaking your money malaise this summer. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratcliffe and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Thanks for being with us this morning. Um, hope you all have very good, healthful Memorial Day plans, even if it's just to take a break. Take a nice long break. Take a breath. Take, go for a drive. Go to a movie. Decompress. Always good for you. So we do hope you come to our Breaking Your Money Malaise Candid Coffee Um I'm almost done with the presentation, and we'll have a lot of good tips for you on just some good money-saving tips for a time where, obviously, markets are stuck in this trading range, and the economy is sort of a stagflation light, but there are certain things that you still can do to do better financially in your household. Focus on the things you can control, and frankly, there are a lot of things you can control. What you want to control is the direction of the market and that how your perception of the market is going to match reality. But that's, that's really not going to happen. But boy, there are so many things you can control. Now, speaking of what you can control is your investment allocation. There are people that will look at being more, let's say, exploratory with their allocation, be more adventurous with it, right? They're going to have the traditional liquid variable assets, stocks, bonds, cash, right? Traditional. Also big in our financial industry are alts, alternate um, opportunity zone funds, you know, uh, privately held investments. But there's always, every investment you touch with your money has a risk. 
and you've got to weigh out those risks. And then you've got to figure out, I've got this horse in a corral. Is it a wild horse? Is it a tamer horse? How, how, how much of a corral do I need to have around this? In other words, how much control do I need to have over this investment? How big of a corral am I going to let this thing run? How big of a portion of my portfolio is it going to be? And again, we have a lot of people that are always seduced by higher yields. A lot of investors that are always seduced by, I can do better in doing other things. I can do better doing real estate. I can do better doing stocks. I don't, you know, they favor one over the other and they'll overweight. But I think with illiquid investments, you have to, you have to look at how much of your money do you want illiquid. And we talked a little bit about these investments yesterday, Danny. But we also talk about how real estate is always per perceived as a safe investment. Personally, I have always done horribly with real estate. I have done much better with stocks. I'm more comfortable there. Um, if you make a mistake with a stock, I can get out. That's the beauty of liquidity. If I make a bonehead move, I can leave. I make a bonehead move with real estate. I buy it at the wrong time. I buy it at the wrong price. I can't get out. I may not be able to get out. I may have to hold that debt. Now, what if I'm holding that debt at low interest rates and now with the Fed doing what they're doing, Danny, I am going to see, so you're sort of on subprime loans possibly. I'm going to see my rates go up to maybe seven, eight, nine percent That's going to change the scope of my cash flows dramatically. And if I have renters, what's their economic position look like? Can I raise their rents? Probably not. Can I, get any, can I get them out of an apartment? What are all the rules around that? So for me, it's much more intimidating. So if I, if I do, and I do have illiquid investments, to be, to be honest with you and be disclose, disclose that to you. But they're a very, they're a small contained portion. And I know I probably won't see my original investment back for years. And I'll collect cash flow along the way. But I understand that I can't just cash those in. Well, we just reading this this story. I mean, these apartments in Houston, these Timber Ridge apartments, um, which have really have been have had poor living conditions, but they have been popular and people have been living with them, uh, living in them. But they have gone under. But there's a whole story behind that, Danny. I mean, a story for every investor in this, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, think about how timely this was. I mean, we were just talking about private investments yesterday. A lot of people looking, seeking to find something outside mm -hmm. of just the regular realm. And there is an appeal to these investments. And, and like you said, you know, I own some of these as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but you need to understand what you're getting in, the liquidity issues that you may face. And then your lack of say-so over the actual investment if you're looking at like a multifamily. So there's an article in Wall Street Journal came out yesterday. Uh -huh. It says a housing bus comes for thousands of small-time investors. So there was an IT, uh, mid-level IT manager, uh, Jay Gajavelli. I'm sure I botched that, so excuse me. Um, 61 year old immigrant <laughs> from India who was that I did a good boy. job, I think. Yeah. And so he decided, Hey, I want to get out of, um, just the nine to five type of gig Yeah, and get into real estate, which is many, many people's dreams. I mean, pull up any social media site and you're going to have these guys on there telling you how much money they made. Uh, was it Grant, uh, Cardone talks about yeah. if you're making $400,000 a year in this article, you're poor. You're, yeah. My jet eats 2.7 million. In, in fuel alone. I mean, I, okay. I mean, I like some of Grant Cardone stuff, but sometimes he makes me feel like a worm. Like, right. if you make $400,000, you're, you're a peon. You're doing well, okay? You're a peon. No, yeah. you're doing okay. 
you're doing more than let's say you're doing more than okay, but boy, not not in Grant Cardone's world. You're like, go clean my toilet, buddy. Yeah, that, that's janitor's pay over there. It's not really I mean. motivational at all. So, but but no. So look, listen. <laughs> that's the problem is that we get all these. You know, it's it's the social media yeah aspect to it all too as well because so many people that's what they're finding this information, and you know when you've got all these ads, everybody's coming out and they're they're searching for dollars. And so my rule of thumb with any of these investments mm-hmm. is that. If I'm getting harassed by one of these guys, oh, I'm not dealing with them. Absolutely. Like not. if you need if you need my money that bad, huge red flag. Then like no way, I'm stepping back. And you ever um, get the you ever get the listen, this deal closes at this point, you know, you know the pressure, but it's a light pressure. Like I've had, like I've had some light and some pretty heavy pressure. Right. And I then I know this. as soon as I get pressure, I'm done. Almost every time though after that go. date, yep. They'll come back like, "Hey, <laughs> really want you to get in on this. Got a good deal." I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. So the concept of this, Danny, set the stage for this is you're a small investor, but you want to put some money into a larger, you know, consortium, of dozens of small investors that, so this, this uh, Mr. Gajavelli is going to take this money mm-hmm. and he's going to put it into multifamilies. And obviously you're going to collect an income stream Correct. from that. So. And that's what he did, right? So he had what, five hundred million? I mean, this guy goes from working in IT to own owning more than five hundred million dollars worth of apartment buildings with seven thousand units. Yeah, that's welcome amazing. To, I mean, I mean, hey, what, a, what a cool story! <laughs> it is a cool story. <laughs> if it worked until the end. Yeah. Well, and so and, <laughs> and, and it this is, I think, the things that that you need to remember. So number one, yeah. we're talking about apartment complexes here, and so multifamily units. It's it's. Mm-hmm easier for people to get in. You don't have the headache of uh, actually having to deal with tenants or making any of the day-to-day decisions. You are generally speaking, just a limited partner. So you give them your capital and you pray to God that they're going to do what they say they're going to do with it. And you typically want to find somebody with a really good track record that understands the dynamics of the markets, the interest rates, what's going on, how to actually manage it, because that's a big part of it. You know, these guys are managing it, they're marketing it. But they're also taking a pretty big fee to do so. And so what we're seeing right now is that a lot of these, and and a lot of times they're going to have a a time horizon that they're going to say, okay, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a five-year time horizon or a seven-year time horizon. And this is where a lot of times these guys will find some deals because somebody may be in something, they need liquidity, they need to get out, the investors want out. And that's where another one of these syndicates will come in and scoop them up. But the issue that we're seeing right now is that, one, um, interest rates have gone up. And these guys cannot raise rents quick enough. Or, or at all. Or at Based all. on how the economy is going and, and the kinds of units that he owned. Now, here's the thing that would have turned me off, Danny. You, you brought up one red flag. Here's the other. He pitched double your money returns in talks to investors in YouTube. So as soon as yeah. you tell me I'm going to double my money and you're so confident about it, I don't even want to hear it anymore. I, I'm done. And that's my own personal preference. That's one of my red flags goes up, and I'm not going to compromise on it. Yeah. Well, and you also need to understand what type of um, what type of asset class is it? Is it a is it a top tier? Is it a grade A? Is it a grade B? What does that look like? How and, much and leverage? What does that mean? Because a lot right. of times these guys will buy some of these um, units that are beat up. Yeah. They say, "Listen, we're going to fix them up. Here's how we're going to increase," and they'll, and they'll they'll talk about it per door. Here's what we're going to pay per door. Here's how much we're going to have to spend. Boy, that's impressive per door. Danny sounds like Grant Cardone. Yeah. <laughs> but what they do is 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 essentially that's how they're they're going to pitch 
yep. what they're doing, right? Yes. And so this guy, though, in a four-year time frame, had built this great, massive real estate empire. But just in this last year, he's lost, what, 3,000 apartment units? Mm-hmm. Four rental complexes taken in foreclosure. Um, you know, and so the problem is that he's getting loans initially at 35 4%. And most of the time, these guys are doing interest-only variable rate loans. Floating rate. So it's a floating rate. So each month, the interest will change. Mm -hmm. So you may look at the numbers and say, wow, this looks really, really good until you start factoring in these interest rate changes. And so just like banks are getting beat up, so are some of these guys. And the issue is, is that you may be stuck in this investment, not be able to get out. And then if you want your money, they're going to have to sell this at a discount. Or they're going to... They're going to be cash flow negative. Yes. And how long can you go doing that? That's the other issue. Well, there's a smart way to do this. I mean, the idea is good. You know, he he was t- pitching the fact that you always need a place to live. True. And yeah, that is true. But if I'm highly leveraged, so these are syndicators that will come out and they've raised about $115 billion from investors. And I, and I think, you know, based on interest rates and how long it takes interest rates to get through the system and contractual agreements, mm-hmm. we haven't seen as many defaults. But I think that you're going to see foreclosures ahead. So you always want to understand the leverage of these deals. We're going to continue this uh, discussion when we get back here on The Real Investment Show. Stay tuned. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so danny and i have an investment for you it's called the uh dda we're gonna get, we're gonna have acres of land and all these tiny homes. We're gonna call it the Don't Die Alone communities. Guaranteed to double your money. Well, double your crop of herbs that you're planting. Listen, there's nothing wrong at all. And I, with owning different types of investments to create your allocation. And I think, Danny, the more this market remains in a trading range, even though safe money is attractive, are attractive in yield, people are going to start getting, investors are going to get itchy. They're going to be looking for opportunities in deals. When this is the time, probably, when liquidity is drying up and the economy is slow rolling to whatever it's going to be, whether it's a light recession or an ongoing stagnation, that you have to be extra careful because the Fed is not your friend. The one thing we don't remember 
is the Fed's not our friend, and we always thought that interest rates would stay low. And, and, and I understand why. There are a lot of macro trends that portend to that. But the pandemic through all of that, you know, we may not have been be talking about this gentleman and his investments here if the pandemic never happened and these stimulus packages. Yeah. But that's what happens when, when rates go up and liquidity dries up. You get to see when the tide goes out, as Warren Buffett says, you get to see who's swimming naked. So if I'm going to have sustained higher rates for longer, even though I do think eventually deflation is coming, we're going to see it. It might just take longer. But that may not be long enough where some companies are going to continue to default. But we were talking about, because this is a fascinating story um, about these syndicators and what they're promising and the rental market boom in general. So things are going to have to change. And I think how you have to set rules for these illiquid investments, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's casks of whiskey. I don't care what the heck it is. You, or, or, or real estate, you better set your boundaries. because. But this is a good example of why you should as a small investor. Yeah, and I think so. And, and look, listen, I, like I said, we, own, we have personal investments and in very similar types of investments here. Um, we know a lot of people that have been extremely successful with this. And this, I think a lot of this is about doing due diligence, starting small, understanding the risk that you can take. Yes. Because, and, and I know a handful of people that are extremely wealthy, and they will typically always put in the minimum. When they do something like this. And I have a lot of clients that do this. Yeah. Um, but, but through individuals, not through, like, it's like the syndication deals. But they know these individuals personally. They know the track record of these, this individual Correct. with real estate. It's unlike, say, someone getting on YouTube and saying, I'm going to double your returns. And I will tell you that you don't, have, if, as a syndicator investor, you do not have a lot of rights. You don't have any, there's no obligation to give you regular updates on your building's financial performance, the, the, the quality of the structure, uh, whatever is going on. You don't, you don't, you're not privy to that. Um, so you're pretty much out of your money if, if this doesn't work. So you have to be, even though it's illiquid, it's also the more illiquid it is, the more speculative it is, even though it's backed by a hard asset. Yeah, you're typically going to get something out of it, but there's always a cost of doing business as well. So you have the acquisition fees, which is typically going to be charged by the general partner who's going to find the deal. Um, so those guys are getting 2 to 3% sometimes, sometimes even higher. You see it 4 and 5%. You're also going to be paying a management fee on gross income. And so these are things that need to be accounted for into the numbers. And typically, if you work with somebody who's, who's really good, they're going to show you all their projections. And Good, bad, and, Absolutely. And, and, you know, say, okay, what if this doesn't work how we think it, it will? Here's the impact. Here's what happens. Here's how much longer we'll potentially have to hold this. Um, but I think it's just important to know, like you said, you don't have many rights. You don't have much that you can do. Mm -hmm. um, this guy, even though he just foreclosed on four properties, I'm assuming he's probably doing pretty well. Yeah, but some of his investors aren't. But he's Correct. probably still doing fine. So you have this, this, this one gentleman who didn't have any rules. He invests the majority of his, rea his uh, retirement money, millions of dollars, in AppleWave, right? The, the, like he's the largest individual investor in the company. And he's lost millions. So to me, if I've lost millions, I better have hundreds of millions. And he obviously doesn't because this is pretty much all his life savings. So he didn't have like, okay, I'm going to have a boundary or a rule. Yeah. And I'm going to only put a portion in. 
This guy went all in. And I think with a lot of investors, this is what they do, Danny. They go all in. They don't consider the risk. They get all mesmerized by returns. Gosh, isn't this, this is always, this never changes. This being mesmerized by double your return, higher yields, no matter what happens, as long as we've been doing this, Danny, it never goes away. This seduction never goes away. It's, it's, it really amazes me, right, uh, that can over and over again people get suckered in. Even with the stories that are out there, even, even it's, well, this one's going to be different. Hey, I get it. I mean, listen, it, I have a rental property, had multiple in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, they're either really good. Or it's just like, man, you got to be kidding me. I'm so ready to get get out of it, right? You so, want a tenant like Brent. Yeah. That's what you want. Cuts cuts the grass with his clippers and oh. his scissors and, you know. Does his fertilization. Paints, keeps everything watered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but if you've been a landlord, you can. I can see how seductive something like this can be in the sure. sense of, hey, you don't have to do much. Here's the returns we're going to see. Um, you know, another thing that we hadn't really touched on either is how do you invest in these? Yeah. You know, we see some mistakes made because you're hearing everybody with IRA money, right? 401k. Hey, roll your 401k, cash it out, cash it out. Yeah. Don't worry about the 10% penalty because you're going to make a bunch of money. Right. Or, Hey, put it in a self-directed IRA and invest in that way. But the problems with that is that you lose a lot of the tax efficiency of some of these investments. Mm-hmm. Like the deductions, you lose the, um, you're going to lose what they do a cash out refi. So a lot of times you're investing in one of these properties, they're going to improve it. You're hoping that you continue to see inflation and that the market for that continues to rise. And let's say they buy something for 50 million, it's now worth 70. They go and take that cash out. Mm-hmm. So just like if you did a cash out refi on your home, it's going to be a loan. So you're not going to have a taxable event at that time. And so you don't get that same benefit. And every dollar that you take out, if you have it in that IRA, is therefore taxable. So I have some investors that will not do these syndicated things. Yeah. They will buy properties. They will, or if they do, they'll have <clears throat> three or four people, mm-hmm. but are very well versed in real estate. And they go through those numbers like a vulture over a carcass. They go through the, they look and break down every number. And if the deal doesn't work on paper, there's not even a negotiation. They say, nope, doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. Let it go. They're so unemotional about it, and they consistently make money. I, I mean, I'm, the best real estate investors I know are not going this route. They're forming their own groups, and they have a lot of people on staff that, or people they work with that are just very much know the markets and real estate. I mean, they're very knowledgeable. They're not just going, here, Danny, here's $10,000 now. You give me back my 20000 here within six years, and I didn't have to really do much for it. Well, I think people get um, they get seduced by that, but they also, I'm not going to say misled, but they don't quite understand. So I've seen deals right. where they say, okay, give us 25000 and we're going to give you you know 50000 whatever it may be. And when, when it's all said and done is what their projections would be. But then you start, you're going to get quarterly distribution checks or mm-hmm. dividend checks. And as you're receiving those, those are all being tallied up into that final number. So when they go to have that liquidity event, 
you may get, if you had 25, you may get 35 or 40, but you're thinking in your head that you're going to get all this extra money, but you've been getting a little bit all along the way. So I think sometimes, you know, they, they count their chickens before they hatch. So there is a company out there, and I did put a little money in it. By the way, I put $200 in it um, because I have a client that wanted to do it. When I say a little money, they I let meant, you put 200 bucks in it? Yeah, because it's Fundrise. Okay. So Fundrise finds this community of rental homes, and they, and they put them together, and they say, okay, this is a home on this block, right? Yeah. There's a lot of these companies that do in fractionalized real estate, and they'll say, we, uh, we got a house in Bender's Landing, and we just, we're going we're to spend this much on the house, and this is how much we're going to rent it for. And they do a bid. They do a process. Mm-hmm. And until they get the, the, the price to buy it, and then you own the fractional part of that house. Based on the $200 I put in, I own a toilet. Yeah. Well, but I, I, just, get a, actually, I do I just get a bought, dividend I check. I just bought some toilets for rental property. So you, you is that own right? a little more. I mean, I if you're like me, you got the... You got them on sale and at a... Not the yeah. American standard. You got oh, the... No. Uh, you got the Indian... Glacier you got Bay. the plastic one. It was a Glacier <laughs> Bay. <laughs> Glacier Bay. We did go for the elongated... Made out of Russia from, but, from uh, Russia. <laughs> My toilet's from Russia with love. So, yeah, but I'm saying is there are ways to do this with very little money. Yep. And then I get a dividend check for like a, a dollar every quarter. A dollar 26. So you're getting a 2% yield on... <laughs> For 200 bucks yeah, uh, for now yeah but i mean but it's gonna double but this fractionalized real estate even comes to me as a better idea because they show you the house how you know and then you can research the uh the community and you can put a thousand dollars into it if you wanted to try it out so there are a lot of this fractionalized real estate and that may be a, bad, a good way to kind of get started i think a lot of people you know like you mentioned go out and try to syndicate their own deal. Most people don't have the resources no, to do so, that's the why knowledge, these, the time. That's why these fun rides in Yield Street have, yeah. have become successful. We're going to talk about health insurance and early retirees. We deal with that a lot. We return here. Stay tuned. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Why, Brent, what are we going to do on this long, hot summer? Well, Don't you worry, little darling. <laughs> Don't you worry, we're going to be playing some Barry White music. Gonna have some fried chicken and some ice cream. And we really got that investment on. No, I'm, now I'm hungry now. No, I want chicken. Man, there's nothing better than a chicken biscuit. Chicken and waffles? Yeah. Oh, goodness. I can't find. What are the best places for like chicken and waffles? We should do some research. <laughs> Danny, you in? Always. There's some cafes I can't remember. I follow on Facebook out of. Out of Texas, of course. Mm-hmm. And there's Mary's Cafe by the Brazos. But then there's another one, and they come out with a chicken fried steak. I'm not kidding. It hanging over the plate. Walker's. Walk, yeah, I think that's the one. In, Walker's in has, sorry, Right. Walker's yeah. has 
Oh, man, Walker's is... Walker's on the square in Madisonville. Now, I did go try to get to Walker's one Memorial Day weekend. They were closed the whole weekend, mm-hmm. and it's point to me. Yeah, I wanted family. To, I understand, but I wanted yeah. to go for, like, a Saturday. Right. And... Mm. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm leaving the show. I'm going to hit Chick-fil-A. Um, Can we DoorDash on the show? <laughs> you probably could. So... Um, when we plan, we always look at health insurance costs, and they, of course, these are the one, uh, some of the most formidable costs. But a good reason why people keep working to age 65 is to have reasonably priced health care coverage. And no matter what you think about Medicare, it is it allows us to contr- understand the, the, the costs of helping a client with insurance because I mean, we know how much Medicare Part B premiums are. We'll, we, can, we can get a really good idea of Medigap, and it's much more affordable. But there are clients that are going to retire before age 65, and they've got to evaluate their health insurance. Now, many of those people, Danny, you probably have, have a retiree plan. But how many people do? So then they have to go into the private marketplace. So retiree plans, so you have a company, you have a large employer, and they're going to go ahead and say, listen, when you retire, you're going to have to, you can carry on your health care benefit. Wow. So I could retire before 65 because I'm going to maintain coverage at a reasonable price. And then when I get on Medicare, this will be my supplemental. But in co- according to KFF in their employer benefit survey, um, only 21% of large employers offer these plans. And, and Danny, you know that's in the next 10 years. It'll be half that. Yeah, that number is only going down. But that's that's unique. That's, so that's like you it just is. shared the numbers. Very I mean, unique. that's not something that you see every day. It's a lot of the bigger employers, um, and and they're trying to retain people for the longevity, right? So I think that's a really good uh, benefit. But for somebody who doesn't have that, it's astronomical trying to retire before sixty-five. Such a big expense if they have to pay out of pocket. It is. I mean, so much so that a lot of people delay retirement or one may retire if, if you're married and the other one may continue to work just to retain some type of coverage. And that's usually the strategy. If someone does want to, I can't take it, Rich. I, you know, okay, okay, I, I got to retire. I'm 63 and I got to go. All right, well, we got to worry about two years. How about your spouse? Well, he or she's still working. Good. Okay. Can we get on that plan? But aren't we finding, Danny, that more and more employers are saying you cannot cover your spouse on your employer plan. I'm, I'm coming across that now where they're saying, listen, if you retire, you can't add your spouse to this plan. So that's also becoming a problem, but it's not the majority of what I see. Most of what I see is you can get on your, uh, you can get on your spouse's plan or you can look at Cobra for as long as it's going to last. But the average, uh, the average expense for Cobra, according to KFF, is like nineteen hundred bucks a month. Yeah, that's just crazy. <laughs> so you better put that. In. So some clients say, "Listen, Rich, I'm willing to pay it. I, I'm willing to go on the, you know, I'm willing to go on the private, uh, go with the private policy. Look at e-health insurance. Talk to my broker. I can't do it. I, I just can't work anymore. Um, I, not this job." Well, or some type of shared insurance. We've seen more and more of people looking at that, entertaining that idea. Yeah, right, exactly. Or 
there are companies right now because of the labor force participation rate where you can work part-time and get some form of health care coverage. So even if you're willing to graduate to part-time work, you can go ahead and maybe look at it. But it's still going to be more expensive than you were with you when you were your employer. Um, so that is the biggest challenge, I think, that you have. The marketplace... Um, the KFF has a health insurance marketplace calculator, which is a really good place to start. So e-health insurance, remember, that's a site that's going to make money off you, so you got to be careful. But, you know, I wouldn't talk to anybody, but you can run your numbers there. You can also look at the KFF. I like the, the Kaiser Family Foundation health insurance marketplace calculator. So you put your inputs in. Uh, you can look at your marketplace insurance, figure out what you need for bridge insurance until you get to Medicare, right? And some people get subsidies. Most people we work with are not going to get subsidies. Um, but you can look to do that. I think that's a really good place to start. So, by the way, do your homework first and see. And then you have to talk to your planner and say, listen, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Okay, we, might, we might need to make sure because planning software is going to have, if you go ahead and I go ahead and I say, Danny's going to retire at 61. Well, it's going to estimate what your out-of-pocket's going to be. But you really want the actual number. So you'll do your homework first, then input it in a plan, and see if it'll work. Then I have some clients to say, listen, I'm just going to go without it. And roll the dice. <laughs> I do have some people. I'm like, what? Are you sure you want to do this? You don't even want to get catastrophic. Nope. Nope. I'm fine. All right. We're going to wrap you in bubble wrap. Never drive again. Not in Houston, at least. <laughs> Not anywhere. Yeah. So um, I thought when ACA came out, the Affordable Care Act, which is the Unaffordable Care Act, I thought maybe that would have been a good opportunity. And there have been maybe two clients that I've had that were able to take advantage of subsidies. But even, this, even with that, the insurance was still more catastrophic insurance. I mean, the deductibles were high. And I'm like, you still, you know, this is like, God, you know, God forbid you got a major illness. Yeah, the prudent thing is to get something. But, you know, you do want to, you need to understand yourself and think about what are the implications if something bigger does happen. That's the problem. And I think that many times people would step into it without planning. You know, you sometimes you're just, you know, we have layoffs, life happens, you need to jump into it. <laughs> right. And then you kind of come back to this, say, well, I'll just do COBRA. And but Cobra's not, not cheap. Yeah, like Cobra's not cheap at all. Now, you may want Cobra, like, say, if you just suddenly get laid off, right? You might say, oh, gosh, I'm, well, I'm, I have to keep this for at least a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, until you figure out what you want to do next. Right, and then figure out, go do your homework. And there are enough resources. I mean, we can help you look at it as well, just to help you direct you, in the, you know, get you in the right direction, and then add it to your financial plan um, as well. But uh, as, as much as people say, oh, gosh, Medicare, you know, it's so costly and we're running out of money, I have yet to find when we help someone with the Medicare decision how to go ahead and make sense of the alphabet soup of premiums and so forth and different types of plans that, you know, a client just went through major surgery. He goes, Rich, I didn't pay a dime. You know, I didn't pay anything out of pocket. I mean, that's what, that's what that's we great. want. When we set this up, you to have this surgery before you know he says it was such a stress release for me i didn't have to worry about anything when i got out of there and i'm like well and it's imagine what that would have cost you 
if you were because he was trying to retire. He was thinking he was going to retire sooner than 65, and I implored him not to because he was in poor health. And I'm like, listen, you, this is not going to work. So he managed to stick it out. It was only a year and a half. That's all he had to do, a year and a half, single guy, and it worked out well for him. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So people don't realize um, when we, uh, we do our Medicare seminars, the integration of Medicare and an employer plan. In other words, I work for an employer with 20 more employees, so I am covered, so I don't have to do my Part P. But then I go on to COBRA, and people don't realize that I might, the clock is ticking for my special enrollment period for me to get on a Medigap policy. Yeah, I think that's the biggest misconception is that COBRA is still your employer plan. So many people don't realize that. And then you start getting hit with that permanent penalty for every 12 months you don't sign up past that special enrollment period or even a 65. That seems to be one of the bigger problems because it still feels mm -hmm. and looks just like your employer plan. However, they don't consider you being on a creditable plan any longer. So that's one thing that you need to, to be extremely cautious with. You, know, you and I ran across something with, visiting with the client last week. Um, over 65, mm -hmm. looking to get yeah. back oh, yeah. on right. a, re a, a health plan, uh, excuse me, a, an employer health plan. It was going back to work. Going back to work. Going back to work. And so just want to know, hey, anything I'm not looking at, he has a current retiree plan, which is actually pretty good. And so the problem would be is that you get a guaranteed enrollment period. And so that they can't turn you down. They can't look at pre-existing conditions. Mm -hmm. And you only give that to you once, though. It's either at your, your initial enrollment period when you turn 65 or your special enrollment period, that eight-month period when you retire or come off a spousal plan. Mm -hmm. So the problem would be is that while it looks and sounds great, go get on the employer plan, you may not be able to come back to your traditional your Medigap yeah. because of a pre-existing condition. Right. People don't realize there are pre-existing condition clauses with supplemental insurance for Medicare if you fall outside a window of, of that coverage window. You got to be really careful. So you know what he did? He's going back, yeah. negotiating, saying, hey, I'm not going to need to be on your health care. So give me a little bit of a bump, a bonus. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Hope you have a great weekend. Lance back on Tuesday. Thanks again.